And of course, that's talking about our spiritual growth. And the Bible teaches us that we are to draw near unto the Lord, and he'll draw near unto us. And we want to indeed uh, take that step closer to the Lord. And, and when we take the step, God takes a step, and God's steps are bigger than our steps. And so it's important for us to be taking those steps. I don't know if you heard the story on the news of the woman that her car broke down, so she was walking to, to work every day. And uh, when she was walking to work, she pulled into, not pulled in, but she walked into a convenience store. And in the parking lot, uh, there was an envelope with $15,000 cash. And she didn't hesitate. She called the police. And uh, she told the police about the $15,000. And when the police took that money, they realized that it was uh, uh, from a couple who just got married. There were uh, wedding cards in there and the $15,000 cash were gifts that people were giving for their wedding. And, um, and so they interviewed her on the news, and they, they just said, you know, uh, why, would, why would you do that? Most people wouldn't do that. And she said, well, it wasn't mine. And a uh, very, very honest individual. And so what they did is they, they created a GoFundMe page for this woman who showed kindness and was honest. And that $15,000 that someone with a dishonest heart would say, you're crazy, it's cash, how do you know it's theirs, and you can make all the excuses. That $15,000 that was returned to the owner turned into $80,000 that people gave. And we just need to remember, and I know this is a secular illustration, but we can't outgive God. When we're honest with God and we take that step forward, then God's blessing is far greater than ours. And so we just need to make sure that we're pressing on that higher ground. That's a good model, a good, a good hymn for mountain climbers, right? Higher ground. We're pressing on the upward way. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in our Bibles together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to continue our mini-series on... Uh, looking at this incredible truth here of God is greater than our troubles. And, and all of us have troubles. Uh, sometimes our troubles are manifested in different ways. And someone asked about trials. They say, what's the worst trial you went through? And everyone would say, well, the one I'm in now. The storm that we're currently in is always the worst trial. Uh, but God is greater than those troubles that we have in our life. And I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and kind of take a, a different look at it. Uh, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, I'm going to start a brand new sermon series on Sunday morning. I've been working on it and preparing and going to launch it in two weeks. And it's going to be on the armor of God. And I'm excited about it. We're going to go through every part of the armor of God and look at uh, the battle that every Christian's involved in, the battle that they cannot see. And we're going to be focusing our attention on that. And so I'm excited. Not this Sunday, uh, but the following Sunday, we're going to begin that series. Look what the Bible says here, verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Bible says, And in this confidence I was reminded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use likeness or the things that I purpose 
do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? Verse 18 says this, But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanius and Timotheus, uh, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. Verse 20 now. It says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and have anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, and to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, but for that we have dominion over your faith, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Now, when we think about this idea tonight, God is greater than your troubles, I think it's important for us to take some time. And if we're going to rise above our conflicts, if we're going to rise above our troubled heart, then it's going to take us believing in the promises of God. And that's the foundation for our life to rise above those troubles is to have our feet firmly planted on what God has promised for our lives. So let's take some time and pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we're grateful for your opportunities. We're grateful for the time that we have to once again open your word. And I pray, Lord, for those that are joining us tonight. I pray your blessing upon them. Thank you, Lord, for their hunger and their thirst for your word. I pray, Lord, that tonight they would be filled, that their thirst would be quenched. Lord, I pray for the Mar family. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon them. I thank you, Lord, for their ministry here, and I pray for their healing. I pray also for my wife, Lord, that you would strengthen her and encourage her. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use this time tonight to help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, early in my pastorate and throughout my pastorate even to this day, uh, I rely deeply on the promises of God in my life. And even when things don't work out the way you think they ought to, uh, you always have to default back to what God says. And this is where we plant our feet. Now, in our context, and I, I think it's important for us uh, to understand the context of this passage of Scripture because, of course, uh, the context tells us a lot about what Paul's saying and what he's saying to this church. Uh, in the context of this particular passage of Scripture, Paul had failed to come see the church at Corinth. In fact, he, he wanted to visit this church two times. And, and he stated in his, message, in, in his letter, his epistle here, that he wanted to give them a double benefit, or he, he wanted to come and visit them two times. Uh, one time, passing by Macedonia, and the other time when he returned. Uh, but Paul was hindered in doing so. For some reason, and, and he doesn't say why he was hindered or what had happened, 
we don't know why, but we know that he was hindered. He could not go to Corinth. And if you know anything about the church at Corinth, um, this was a carnal church. And what I mean by carnal, I mean that they weren't led by the Spirit. They weren't following the Spirit's direction in their life. They were, they were following their carnal appetite, their carnal desires. And, and we know that this was a carnal church because the Spirit of God, through Paul, called them a carnal church. You know, I, I remember one time seeing a church. It was called Corinth Baptist Church. That's a horrible name for a church. Don't call your church Corinth Baptist Church. Read your Bible. Rename your church. I, I mean, this was a, this was a carnal church. And, and so Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, the first epistle, the first letter he wrote to them, he rebukes them strongly for uh, their attitudes and their carnality. And then when we come to 2 Corinthians in the second epistle, now we find the apostle Paul is defending his apostleship because people will respond, Christians will respond two ways. When they are rebuked by the word of God, they'll either get right or they'll get angry. And unfortunately, the church at Corinth decided that they weren't going to get right, they were going to get angry. And so they fought back at the apostle Paul. And the passage of Scripture, as you look at the context of this passage of Scripture, uh, basically what they were saying was, Paul, you can't be trusted. Paul, you made a promise and you didn't keep your promise. You know, Paul, you're fickle, you're indecisive, whatever the case is. I mean, they laid it on him thick and, and they attacked him and they attacked his apostleship that he was actually sent by God. And by the way, if you're going to attack a rebuke, then you have to attack the authority of that rebuke. And that's what the church of Corinth did. And, and so Paul is writing this letter here, and he's defending his character. He's writing this letter, he's defending his apostleship. And he's putting some, himself as the authority, the God-given authority in their lives. And it's amazing today how the devil can use things, and I'll be, I'll be frank, even use people to distract and to discourage people in the work of God. And that's what was happening here in Paul's life. I mean, this, this church wasn't helping Paul. The church at Philippi was encouraging Paul and giving to Paul to help in the missionary journey, uh, but this church here was attacking Paul. And they were pulling him down and criticizing him. And, and so this is, this is what we have happening here in this epistle. And yet, in this wonderful um, scenario, or I should say this difficult scenario, comes this wonderful truth about the very promises of God. I am so thankful for God's promises and I'll say to you tonight that the promises of God as a Christian is what we can hang our hat on. They are so important. And I, I really do encourage you to, you can go on the internet and just get some verses on the promises of God and write them out on your Bible uh, or write them on a, on a recipe card and go through them every day or any opportunity. Be reminded of God's promises. And as I was preparing for this message, I took time and I reminded myself of God's wonderful promises. And I mean, we could go on all night if we wanted to talk about the promises of God, but let me give you some familiar ones that we all know. 
Uh, first of all, there's, there's God's presence. And uh, we know God's presence, the presence of God is, uh, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, God's protection, I am your shield. The thought of shield is to be surrounded by God. And so everything that comes into our life has to go through God. Uh, God's provision, I will help thee. God's leading, uh, that, that we are his sheep. And he leads us each and every day. God's purposes, that God's thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace. God's not our enemy. God is on our side. And we have to remember that promise. God's rest is that he, he will give us rest. And his cleansing is that if we bring our sin to him, then he will forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness. That's, again, that's just scraping the surface when it comes to the promises of God. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, when he was uh, uh, his first year of pastoring, uh, he went to visit uh, two shut-ins, and he was reading the Bible to them. And when he came to Matthew chapter 28 in verse number 20, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he said to those shut-ins, he said, Isn't that a blessing as we look at the promises of God? And one of those shut-ins, and he never forgot it, G. Campbell Morgan one of those ladies quickly replied, young man, this is more than a promise. It's a reality. And, and that, that's how God's promises work. You see, God is so confident in those promises that to God, they are already fulfilled. You know, the Bible says of the Christian that we're already seated in the heavenlies. I, I mean, heaven is such a surety in the life of a believer that to God, we're already there. It's already been done. And so the promises of God are a reality in the life of a Christian. Thomas Brooks said this many years ago, Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. But the promises of God can be trusted. God always keeps his word. I want to give you three simple points tonight for our Bible study. Number one, let's think about this, the consistency of God. The consistency of God. The Bible says it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. It says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was priest among you by us, even by me and Savanius and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all of the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, here's what the Bible says. I'm going to make this in simplistic terms here. The Bible says that all of the promises in Jesus Christ are yes. And all of the promises of God are amen or so be it or yes indeed. All the promises in God are yes and yes indeed. And they're all unto the glory of God. David Livingston used to say of the promises of Christ, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, he would say that it's the word of a gentleman of the strictest and most sacred honor. 
you remember the day when someone gave their word, they kept their word? God always keeps his word. You see, when God makes a promise, it's done. When God makes a promise, it will come to pass. Now, friends, listen to me. I, I don't know what individual you've placed your trust in on this earth and you were disappointed in. You know, they say that growing up, children look to their father as their opinion of God. Now, that's a lot of pressure on a father. The reality is this. The greatest father in this world pales in comparison to God. You you know, the Bible says this of a father, an earthly father. He says an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to their children. And it says, and they being evil. In other words, even a sinner knows how to be good to their children. But God, God doesn't compare himself with an earthly father. He gives a contrast. He says, if a sinner knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more so is a loving God who always keeps his word and can always be trusted will give good gifts to his children. And so the Bible teaches us that God has never failed on any of his promises. And you won't be the first one that God fails. He will always keep his word. It's the consistency of God. Yes, and yes indeed to his promises. I want us to look at what the Bible says. Can we turn to Acts chapter 13 together? Acts chapter 13. And notice what the scripture says here. Acts chapter 13 and verse 29. Acts chapter 13 and verse 29. The Bible says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that's speaking of the cross, and laid him in a sepulcher. And God raised him from the dead. This is speaking here of Jesus. And he was seen many days of which, uh, of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. Now the context of Acts 13 is Paul and Barnabas, and they're on Paul's first missionary journey. And they had come to Antioch, and they were invited by the rulers of the synagogue to speak regarding any matter. Can you imagine of a pagan church or a pagan religion that they would let a Bible preacher to come in and you can speak on any matter? And so quickly, Paul stood up and he didn't preach politics, he preached Jesus. And he talked about Christ and the work of Christ. It wasn't a motivational speech, it was the truth. It was about Christ and his resurrection. And the Bible says that this fulfillment of the promise was made to God to the fathers. Now, these promises are sure, and these promises are full of hope. You see, the promises of God today are still a beacon to a lost and dying world. 
And the promises of God are still a bright light in a Christian's life. You, you know, I think it's so important for us to be reminded of these things. We think about the sermon on the promises of God, and we think, well, if you've been in church for any period of time, you say, well, I, I've heard all about the promises of God and probably heard sermons on each promise of God individually. But yet how often we forget that we need to remember and stand upon those promises each and every day of our life. That especially when the troubles of our life come, we need to remember that God always keeps his word and that he can be trusted. That yeah, there are some unchanging times, but we serve an unchanging God. And even in the changing times, our God is unchangeable. Not only the consistency of God, but think about the character of God. Now, look what the Bible says in verse 20 here. The Bible says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, or yes, and in him amen, yes indeed, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now, when we talk about a promise, it always comes down to the one making the promise. And here the Apostle Paul is speaking of his inconsistencies or his failure to keep his word or, or his inability to keep his word. Because there are sometimes we make a promise on this earth, but we're just not capable we're just not capable of keeping that promise. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, that the, the inability that I had to keep my promise, I was hindered because of God's plan. But I want you to know that when God keeps his word, or when God makes a promise, God always keeps his promise. And there's the consistency in that promise. There's the yay and the amen. But really, this promise comes down to who is God? It comes down to the character of God. And friend, listen, it is, think about this, it is impossible for God to lie. It is not that God doesn't lie. It is that God can't lie. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we notice this expression in verse 21. The Bible says the one that establishes or establishes us and the one that anoints us, it is God. This is God's work. This is God's promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, look what the Bible says. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. You see, the same God that promised Noah that he would never flood the earth again. And, and though the world would scorn that and mock that, I thank God that he always keeps his word. The same God that Abraham trusted and he left his home and his family and he went to a country that he had no clue where he was going. And yet God promised that he would have a son and that by that son, the whole world and every generation would be blessed speaking of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
the same God that Moses trusted, that God would touch his mouth and that he would stand up against Pharaoh and lead the Jews to the promised land. The same God that promised that he would send his presence to the apostles is the same God that's making promises to you. And God never fails. That's an incredible thought. God, Jehovah God, his character confirms that his promises are already done. His character. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 13. We talk about the character of this of God who makes this promise or his promises. Think about Hebrews 6, verse 13. It says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, look at this, He obtained the promise that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Do you have any idea of what the Bible is saying? The Bible is saying that the promise that Abraham received He laid it upon the character of God. And he knew that God was able to keep that promise, that they would have a child in their old age, and that even when Abraham took his his only son to Mount Moriah and he was going to, to sacrifice his only son to God, he believed because God always keeps his word that God would even raise his son from the dead because God never fails because of who he is. He always is victorious and his promises can be trusted. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. God always keeps his word because of who he is. And the promises of God, aren't you glad that God's promises are not based upon your character or my character? They're based on who God is. And we can trust in him. There's not a person in this auditorium uh, tonight that does not need to stand on the promises of God. There's not an individual that uh, is listening on the live stream or in the days to come will listen to this message. All of us need to stand upon the promises of God and have confidence in who God is, because the promises of God 
are really based on who God is. And I'm talking about the promise of eternal life. I'm talking about the promise of God's presence, where two or three are gathered together. Jesus said, I'm in the midst of them. He's here tonight. He's, he's with us tonight. That's, that's a promise, the promise that he'll help us, that he'll comfort us, that he won't give us a trial that's beyond our ability. By his grace, we can escape that temptation. We have the promise of his peace and the promise of, of his guidance. It is God that establishes us. It is God that guides us. And the Bible says in this passage of Scripture that we can trust in him because of his character. His promises are based on who he is. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, being confident. I love that. To have some confidence. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, friend, today we can hope in heaven and we can trust God in the storms of our life. We can, you have a troubled heart tonight, stand on the promises of God. You can lean on him in the choices that you make. You, you can look to his word for wisdom and direction because of who he is. Because of who he is. God's promises are sure. And so there's the consistency of God and the character of God. And then notice, if we could, the challenge from God. Look what the Bible says here in verse 24. It says, but for that we, uh, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. You know, a lot of people have this opinion that they come to church and they hear a preacher uh, that preaches from a pulpit um, that, you know, they're just telling me how to live my life. They, they just want to have dominion or control over me. They, they want to tell me, they want to tell me what to do. And, and listen, we, we have to understand that, uh, that any Bible preaching church, the authority is not the man behind the pulpit. The authority is from the book that he preaches from. And, and we need to know that if, he's, if he preaches the Bible, it's not his opinion. You know, don't get mad at him. He didn't write it. He's just reciting it, okay? This is God's message, and he's a channel that God's using to expound his word. Uh, but if you have any issue with a Bible preacher, your issue's with God, <laughs> And, and Paul is saying in this scripture here, he's like, listen, I tell you these things not because I want to have dominion over you. I, I don't want to control you. I don't want to tell you what to do, but I want to be a helper in your joy. I want you to follow God. And any Bible preacher and any pastor that's worth his soul wants his people to follow God. Because that's the joy in life is to do what God would have us to do. And, and Paul is saying, listen, I want you, I want to just be a partner with you and a helper of your joy that you would follow God and that you would stand on the promises of God by faith. Because standing on the promises of God is so important for our life. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31 the Bible says, and he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. 
For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. And he's saying to his disciples, we need to get away from the multitude of people, and we need some rest. And so uh, the Bible says that he saw the multitude, of, you know the story, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Uh, we see the miracle of the loaves, he fed them. We understand that God is our provision and our help. And so the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, and straightway he constrained his disciples. Now that word there, constrained, means to force them into the boat. He's not giving them an option here. Let's go into the ship and let's cross the other side. He's constraining them. You're getting into that ship. And so the Bible says he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side unto Bethsaida. Uh, while he went away, uh, while he sent away the people. And, and so in verse 46, it says, and when he had sent them away, he departed into the mountain to pray. So Jesus forced his disciples to get into a ship, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus went up into the mountain to pray, all right? And so the Bible says in verse 47, and when even was come, so the sun was coming down, and the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. So the disciples are all by themselves, the sun's going down. Jesus is up on the mountain. He's praying. And the Bible says this in verse 48. And he, Jesus, saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. And I think there's so many great applications we can learn here. First of all, he was going to walk by until he acknowledged him. You know, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And Jesus was gonna walk by and they acknowledged him and he turned to them. And look what the Bible says here in verse 49. And when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. By the way, it's Mark chapter 6 where Peter also walks in the water, uh, walks on the water. But that's not mentioned in the Mark, Mark's gospel. Uh, it's a parallel passage that talks about that. And so the Bible says that, that he went up into the ship, and the, the winds ceased, and they were so afraid in themselves beyond measure and wonder. They wondered. They wondered, how could he do this? How could he speak and the storm stop? Now, the Bible says in another passage that they considered not the miracle of the lows, their hearts were hardened. And Jesus here, and, and I, I just want to make a, a quick application here. Jesus is telling his disciples you got to get into that ship because we need some rest. Now, we're Bible students, and we know that Jesus is God, and God knows everything. And Jesus knew that there was going to be a storm. He's probably up in the mountain praying for them. So why would he tell them and constrain them to get into a ship to, give re to get rest if he knew that they were going to have a troubled heart? I'll tell you why. Because I believe this for us as Christians. If we're ever going to experience true rest in our life, then we're going to have to learn to stand on the promises of God and just take him for his word and know that he's in control 
and trust him every step of the way. And, and the Bible says in this passage of Scripture that they, they, were, they wondered at this. How could this be? And yet Jesus had just performed a bigger miracle by feeding over 5,000 people, including women and children, and taking some fish and some bread and breaking it and never running out. I mean, I don't know, what's, what's the bigger miracle? Walking on water, saying, cease, be still, or taking a little piece of bread and breaking it, and it's just not going away. <laughs> I mean, they've already seen the miraculous. They already know what he can do. They just have to stand by faith on what he can do. And that's the problem in our life. We know what God can do. We just fail to stand on that in our life. And it's something that we all struggle with. And that's why we should constantly go over the promises of God for our life and be reminded of his consistency and his character. And his challenge is to stand in faith on who I am and what I can do for you. And then we learn true rest and peace in our life. And I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not standing here saying I've mastered it. I'm saying that it's a work in progress. But it starts tonight. It starts by trusting God in the things that are in our life tonight, taking steps forward by his grace, and God will help us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and we're grateful for your